two again. I thought I was going to finish the chapter, but there's a little too much to do in one session. So we're going to look at verses 22 to 23 here this morning. Uh, and I think you'll see that it breaks down pretty well. We're going to see things that we ought to avoid this week. And then uh, next week, we're going to look at verses 24 to 26 and see character qualities that we ought to be showing. Uh, so that's how we're going to break this down. So we might be a little bit brief here this morning. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 22. I'll read verse 23, and we'll have a word of prayer. It goes like this. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Let's have a word of prayer as we think about that. Lord, we do thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunities that you give for us to praise you and to lift up your name. We ask that you'll give, use your Holy Spirit to give us some clarity and show us just what you'd have for us today. Each one of us needs something from your word. We're trusting you to give us just exactly what we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So lately, as we've been looking at 2 Timothy, we've seen Paul give a lot of advice to Timothy on how Timothy can uh, work out his ministry in the face of opposition from false teachers. That's pretty much what 1 and 2 Timothy have been about. Uh, Timothy's in Ephesus. There's a lot of false teaching going on. Timothy's working in the face of that. Much of that advice must have been pretty useful to Timothy, I would think. Uh, but all of the best information and all of the best advice in the world is useless unless it gets put into practice, right? I mean, you can have all the best knowledge in the world. I can have the best strategy ever devised, but unless I put it into action, it's a waste of time, isn't it? It's a waste of time. So that's what's going on today. Starting today and going down to the end of the chapter, we're going to see very practical side to Paul's instructions for Timothy. All right, Timothy, we've talked about these are some false teachers, and here's some specifically by name. This is what they're doing. This is what they're teaching. Here's how you can oppose it. Timothy, now's the nuts and bolts of here's how you're going to put it into action. <laughs> you're going to put it into action right off the bat, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Step number one, flee youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, charity, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Right off the bat, Paul tells Timothy to both pull back and to advance. So if I were to title this, I'd call it Flee and Follow. Uh, that, that's what we're titling today's lesson. Uh, those words in the King James are what I chose as a title. Uh, flee and Follow. Now this word translated flee, uh, it's a Greek word, fuego, uh, which is seen as a command five times in the Gospels and three other times in Paul's writings. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Fuego, it's the uh, root word from which we get fugitive. All right, this kind of sounds a little bit like fugitive. What is a fugitive doing? Fleeing, but specifically from a threat, right? 
keep that, keep that, there's something threatening the fugitive, the fugitive, whether he's a fugitive from justice, whether he's a fugitive from injustice, that's conceivably possible. Uh, he's running away from something. Keep that thought in your head. Something is pursuing him. Uh, let's look at some of the other places where this is used. Uh, I said three other places Paul uses it. Let's look at all of them. First Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, specifically verse 18. Paul says, Flee fornication, fuego, fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. While we're in 1 Corinthians, go over to chapter 10, verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And then the third, third place where he uses it is, we already saw it when we were in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, where he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and he goes on. When we look at those, that's four times when Paul, that's all four times when Paul uses this word fuego, when we look at those times when we're to flee, the message is really pretty simple, isn't it? It's talking about certain acts, fornication, idolatry, uh, in this case that we're looking at right now, youthful lusts, things that are heinous, immoral, unlawful, just plain wrong, that we as believers ought to stay away from. Escape them while you still can. That's the idea that Paul is trying to uh, give this. So he says, in this particular case, he says youthful lusts. He's calling for Timothy to flee youthful lusts. Uh, now the word for lusts here uh, is epithemi. Epithemi, we've seen it before. It simply refers to a desire, uh, any desire. Uh, usually it's used to refer to a negative desire, but not always. When we were in 1 Timothy, I showed you some positive examples of things that we are supposed to lust after. Go ahead, Diane. Dis dishonor, sure. Uh, that really throws back exactly to what we were talking about in verse 21 last week, uh, where there might be vessels in a house to honor and dishonor. We talked about that a bit last week. Um, so we're talking about uh, epithemi here, lusts. Usually refers to a negative uh, desire that we might have. Paul typically uses this word to describe the types of... Uh, sinful desires that we might have, which can overrule our better judgment. 
That, that's specifically what Paul typically uses it for. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he talks about the lusts of the flesh, and he goes on to describe them. Uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, uh, revelings, and such like. He covers them all. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that the uh, Catholic Church teaches that there's seven deadly sins, and there's a whole list of like 11 or 12 of them right there. Uh, I don't know. Apparently, uh, Paul sees some of these, some of those that he just listed in uh, Galatians 5.19, as being characteristic of youth. Now, you'll hear pastors all the time talk about Paul's talking to young Timothy. Paul's talking to young Timothy. Timothy, at this point, is probably about 45, about my age right now. Uh, I, I like to consider myself a young man. Uh, he, he was not a, a child, is what we're saying here. Uh, Paul wants Timothy to put some distance between these things that might be, per, uh, might be temptations to him, these desires to, that would distract him from the true gospel that he's teaching. Uh, but notice that it's not simply enough to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to uh, pursue idolatry. I'm not going to pursue fornication. I'm just not going to do it. That's not enough. Well, I'm not, I'm not uh, setting up idols, so I must be okay. That's what legalism teaches, isn't it? Just as long as you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do this and you don't do that, that's what legalism is. And right in the midst of that passage, I encourage you to go to that passage in Galatians chapter 5. I just uh, pretty much gave you verse 19, not exactly verbatim. I thought I did pretty good, but not verbatim. Uh, look at verse 18, which says, But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse immediately before, verse 19. So, Timothy, as well as you and I, might we ought to be led by the Spirit, right? Wow. <laughs> yes, we ought to be led by the Spirit. And therefore, we are not under the law, right? According to uh, Galatians 5 and 18. Which the law just says, don't do this or that. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's, that's what the law says. Now, what Paul's telling Timothy here is we're supposed to substitute good actions for bad. Flee youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. So do you see what's happened here? He was a fugitive, fuego. He was running away from something pursuing him. But at the same time as you're running away from something that's pursuing you, you are supposed to be, in fact, pursuing something else. And this is a brief list. This is not everything that we ought to be pursuing. Righteousness, faith, charity, and peace, those are four good ones. If you start on those, it'll lead you to the rest. Start pursuing those, Timothy. By the way, that's pretty much exactly what Paul says back in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21. Let's take a quick glance at that. Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Same basic thing. You flee youthful lusts, and while you're doing that, 
start pursuing this other stuff. See, if Timothy will walk by the Spirit, then he's not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Again, Paul gave very similar advice to the Philippians in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. So, did you know that it, as you're going through your Christian walk, simply trying to not do evil is going to fail every single time? Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to, and the reason for that, and there's a psychological reason for that, when you're focused on, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, you're, going, you're setting yourself up to, because your focus is on that, you're going to fail. You need to replace that evil behavior with righteousness. Even non-Christian psychologists will tell you that. You can't, by actively trying to avoid something, you're never going to be able to get it out of your system. So we used to be pursued as a fugitive from our, by our lusts and things like that, but at the same time we're to pursue these other things. That's what Paul's trying to teach here. But one other thing that needs to be remembered here as well. I don't know if you caught it at the bottom of the verse. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This isn't a solitary act either. You're not doing this by yourself. This is a project we all need to work together on. Do you see that? We're to do this with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We all need to work together to help each other as we grow together in Christ. Now, this we're, we're here to call on the Lord, right? It says, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We're here today to call on the Lord, right? Okay. Let's look at what that phrase means. Call on the Lord, it's a, it's a form of the Greek word, uh, epikaleo. Epikaleo. Interesting place where it was used. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. Anybody who's familiar with the book of Acts, that's the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's Stephen calling upon God, epikaleo. At that time, while he's being stoned, he is calling upon Christ even as they're stoning him. So let me ask you something. You think Stephen, while they were stoning him, was kind of half-hearted in that call? Or do you think he was screaming out for all he's worth, God, save me? Maybe if we called on Christ in that manner, maybe we'd see things a little different. Just something to think about. So Paul's saying, we just said that we're here, we're here to call on the Lord. Paul said that we're supposed to be working on pursuing these things with those others who are calling, earnestly pleading on the Lord. Do you know anybody that's earnestly pleading on the Lord? That's a little different question, isn't it? See, Paul's calling Timothy to follow after godliness, not in some vague, generic sense. Yes, just try to be godly, but based on a model of others who have done so before. Do you know anybody, Timothy, 
who has really called on the Lord. I know Paul, Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. He knew what Stephen's call was like. And I'm sure that was on his mind, because this is a very rare word. Epikaleo is not used all that many times. This is an earnest call. I'm certain Paul was thinking back to that stoning of Stephen when he's writing this to Timothy. If you want to see some other cases, I'll let you look these up yourself. You want to see some other cases of calling on God in this kind of way? Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. I got uh, told that I need to rattle these off a little slower, so I'm going to give you some time to write these down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Those are some of the times when Paul uses this epikaleo, talking about call, earnestly calling on God. It's a, it's a rare word. Look them up yourself. Timothy needs to call on God with a genuine fervor, and if he needed, if he needed to, if he needed to do that, then I bet it's safe to assume that you and I need to as well. Which brings us to verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. So, while you're pursuing these godly virtues, and Paul lists four of them here, it's going to involve some difficult tactical decisions that have to be made. And one of these decisions that has to be made is what conflicts am I going to engage in and which ones am I going to avoid, right? So Paul tells Timothy here to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Now that's a very wise bit of advice too, by the way. Uh, I know it is. How do you, Brother Dan, how do you know that that's a wise bit of advice? Because that's a recurring theme in the book of Proverbs. You want to walk through the book of Proverbs with me? We'll look at a few highlights. Let's go to Proverbs 50. I did try to put these in order in my notes so that we don't have to go back and forth. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 18. Famous one. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Being slow to anger. Uh, skip over a couple of pages, uh, one page in the Pew Bible. Uh, Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is as one, when one letteth out water. Therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Now, I had to look up that uh, Hebrew phrase there because uh, letting out water didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, it's like breaking a dam. Once that dam is broke, you, it's done. We all know what happened a few years back in the town of Alstead, right? A good portion of the town's gone now. Uh, that's what happens when a dam breaks. Uh, let's see. Skip down to verse 19. He loveth transgression that loveth strife. And he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. He loveth transgression if he loves strife. Well, that's interesting. Uh, how about ver uh, chapter 20, verse 3? Same page in the Pew Bible. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. That's enough. You got the idea there. But if you want a New Testament example, anybody want a New Testament example here? All right. Let's, just so you know that wasn't just a concept for the Old Testament. Uh, James, James chapter 1. 
verses 19 to 20. This way we know that it's for you and me too. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So in light of all this biblical precedent, and by the way, that's nowhere near all of them. That's just some highlights that I grabbed. In light of this biblical precedent, Paul tells Timothy to remove himself from these kind of unproductive disputes. You know the type I'm talking about. I don't need to give you examples, right? So let's look at this. These, these arguments are described as, there's a couple of descriptions that are given. They're foolish and unlearned. That word foolish, the Greek word here is moros. Sound familiar? Yeah, bingo. See, you know Greek. Uh, that's where we get our English word moron. Uh, it's used typically in Greek to refer to a short-sighted person, the sort of person who likes to cut corners instead of doing things the right way. Do you know someone like that? All right, so you know a moron. It's the same sort of person who Brother Fisher was talking about just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 26, the, the moron who built his house on the sand. Remember? The moron built his house on the sand. It's the same word. Actually, Matthew goes on to describe quite a few foolish morons, uh, but I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to let Brother Fisher handle that. He's about to cover a couple more. Uh, I'm not going to tread on his turf on that particular one. Paul uses this term to describe morons quite a bit, to describe this specifically the situations that the Corinthian church got themselves into as well. He's constantly calling the Corinthian church morons. We ought to make sure that we're not being called that either, right? Do you want to be called a moron? We're going to talk about this more, by the way, when we get to Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Actually, it's only one page over. Let me look at it right now. Exhort servants to... Oh, no, wrong, wrong one. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Moronic questions. Avoid them. The other term that's used to describe these arguments is unlearned. Unlearned. Greek word is uh, apedudos. I'll give you a Greek breakdown here. We know how to make a negative in the Greek now, right? We've gone over this enough. Somebody tell me how we make a negative in the Greek. Add A at the beginning. Correct. Uh, the word we're looking at is apedudos. Pede. Uh, we know podiatry. Uh, not podiatry. Uh, pediatrics, right? That which pertains to a child. Pedophiles, same thing. That which pertains to a child. Deutos. We know the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible, right? The giving of the law. So, apedudos would be to not be teaching very elemental things. Uh, literally not having elementary education. That's quite literally what this would mean not even knowing the most basic things, unlearned, unlearned, doesn't even have the most basic handle on anything. Paul, it's something that even a child would grasp. Paul wants to remind Timothy of just how ignorant some of these disputes are that can 
uh, uh, people can get into in the church. This is the church at Ephesus. Timothy is overseeing it. Great guy to sit under. I'd like to, I'm looking forward to sitting under teaching from Timothy. I'm going to someday. I'm looking forward to it. And these people are described as uneducated. So make sure you're not getting into an argument with these people. Don't even go down that road, Timothy. And uh, Paul even gives Timothy a reason to avoid these arguments. He says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. That's the reason why they gender strife. The word strifes is a rare one in the New Testament as well. I'm not going to give you the pronunciation of it because it's difficult, so I'm not going to even bother. Uh, it's used here. We saw it when we just looked at Titus chapter 3 and verse 9 just a second ago. Uh, it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5, and it's used in James chapter 4 and verse 1. Those are the only places it's used. Very rare word. Quarreling and strife is never compatible with the pursuit of righteousness, by the way, or the pursuit of faith, or the pursuit of charity, or the pursuit of peace. The four things we're told here to pursue, strife and quarreling cannot coexist with it. There's nothing peaceful about quarreling and strife. There's nothing peaceful about any of this. There's nothing, it doesn't demonstrate faith. It doesn't demonstrate love. All that it can do is hinder those four things. When we're bickering, arguing, and striving over things that don't even matter, all you're doing is hindering love and faith and peace. So, do you see that there is a fight that needs to be going on in our will? There is a fight. So, Timothy needs to stay out of certain conflicts and certain situations, but at the same time, he needs to fight a good fight, like we saw in First uh, Timothy chapter six and verse eleven, uh, verse twelve rather. Fight the good fight of faith. And we've seen that Timothy needs to publicly rebuke elders who are sinning. First Timothy chapter five and verse twenty. So there is a case when strife perhaps, argument, some debate have to happen. He needs to guard the deposit, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, and he needs to suffer like a soldier. He's going to be fighting. There will be fights in your Christian walk. That's the point that I'm trying to make. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to completely avoid conflict. But, uh, well, actually, even, this is just coming to my mind right now, even Jesus, we see, he, Jesus was a perfectly sinless man, right? We all agree. But we see him involved in many heated conflicts, don't we? Arguing with the Pharisees. He calls them morons. He does various other things. He overturned the tables. I talked about that last week. We see Jesus getting into conflicts. What it requires wisdom is to avoid the foolish and unlearned ones. You're always going to end up being in conflict. We have to be in conflict. If we're not in conflict, we're in agreement with this world. And I sure don't want to be in agreement with this world, do you? This world doesn't even know what it stands for right now. And it changes every day. 
what they stand for changes. I don't want to be associated with that. So I am going to run into some conflict. But I need to avoid the foolish and unlearned ones. Those are the ones that we need to stay out of. And it takes a little wisdom to determine, hey, this is a losing battle. Some arguments are a no-win situation. Neither side is going to come out on top. Stay out of those. And the Holy Spirit is who can show you which one's which if we lean on him. That's where I'm going to break it off for today. If you don't mind, I'd like to close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that it has. We thank you for the clarity that it has. We don't need to debate over foolish things. We're leaning on your Holy Spirit to show us just what we can avoid and where we need to stand our ground. Guide us through the rest of this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.